from the book of Genesis, the 17th chapter, comes this word from God. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, You shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her, and she shall give rise to the nation. Kings of people shall come from her. And then we move today to the eighth chapter of Mark. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world? And forfeit their life. Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you recall, as I'm preaching through Lent, I'm trying to preach on one word a week. And the word for this day is suffering. I'm looking to see who's checking out already. 
When you say you're preaching about suffering, it's a little bit like saying you're preaching about sin or obedience. And you just watch several people in the crowd go. And you know they're going to check out for the next ten minutes or so. Try to stay with me, though. I think this is an important topic. For one thing, at some point or another in all of our lives, we face some sort of suffering. And beyond that, the Bible has a whole lot to say about it. Scriptures are, in fact, greatly misunderstood on this point, And we need to spend some time on that, too. As you know, some of you better than others, suffering is physical, emotional, spiritual pain, sorrow, or anguish experienced personally or corporately. Now, I will tell you without question that the fact that people suffer is one of the greatest barriers pastors and the church at large face toward convincing people in an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful, good God. When you think about it, even though they might seem unfaithful, these questions make perfect sense. This isn't just why do bad things happen to good people, but why does a good God allow bad things to happen at all? And when we're in the midst of suffering, especially if we think we're somehow immune from it, why, God, why are far too familiar cries from God's people? Let's be abundantly clear. We as Christians aren't any more immune from suffering than anyone else. Suffering is plain and simply an intrinsic part of human life. Not because God wills it, but because it happens. In the midst of suffering, however, instead of asking why me, it is actually just as logical to ask, why not me? What makes us think that somehow suffering should not touch our lives? There is some Christian misinterpretation surrounding this. In Romans 5, our dear friend Paul says this, We also boast in our sufferings, boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So we boast in suffering. Why in the world would we do that? 
Doesn't that make suffering sound like it's a good thing? Paul is trying to say here that if you suffer, God can ensure that you that good can come from it. Not that we should seek out suffering. Because there is somewhere something intrinsically good in it. Much of our misinterpretation as Christians goes back a very, very long way. In the second and third centuries, Christians became wildly persecuted by the Roman Empire. Christians were tied to posts in the Colosseums and arenas while wild beasts feasted on them. Leaders of the church were murdered in every way conceivable and miserable. Leaders in the church were martyred in every way conceivable and miserable. And as these church leaders became martyrs, they espoused the reason behind their martyrdom to Christ. The distorted notion became to truly become a martyr was a good goal because it made you more like Christ. The Christ who suffered and so therefore you made yourself a good disciple. And your relationship with Christ became more complete. It was not, for example, uncommon for early Christian bishops to deliberately pick fights with Roman officials to ensure their martyrdom. And the remnants of these crazy thoughts are still with us today. We frequently see this in abused women who take the blows of their abusers because they think there is something somehow noble in suffering. But do any of us really think that God wants anyone, any of God's precious creations to be abused or murdered or martyred. It simply contradicts who God is. Dear friends, Christ did indeed suffer for our sakes. He was crucified, martyred, if you will, by the state, died, and was buried. Crucifixion was designed to bring about maximum suffering for its victims. And make no mistake, Jesus really suffered agony on the cross. But do not make another mistake thinking that when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, that he's somehow glorifying suffering. Quite the contrary. 
Jesus is saying, take up your cross. Telling us, life is hard. You may not be able to follow in my shoes. Life is going to be hard. And you have a choice of how you want to live this difficult life in suffering and in misery or following Christ who did indeed suffer for our sake but knows just how difficult this life can be and just how much we need the Savior's grace to make it through. When he wrote the message, Gene Peterson gave us this beautiful interpretation of 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. It says this. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Amen.